recording on the Zoom. It's the... Meg, John and Justin podcast. Yeah. Yay. Hello. Hi. 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 <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. I say welcome back. It's probably... You probably haven't really missed us, but we've missed you because we had a couple of weeks off. So, um, yeah, it feels a bit weird to be doing this again. It's nice. Yeah, I can't remember how to do it. So, yeah, I speak into <laughs> I this like, microphone. How do we start this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're Meg John, right? Okay. That's who I am. Yeah. Yes. And I'm Justin. Yeah. We are this doing an episode. This is our podcast. <laughs> this episode is going to be called something that we've been trying to really find a really great episode. In my two weeks off, I was thinking, we don't have the great episode titles that other podcasts do. You know, oh, like, do you're you in. Ah. So, uh, what, so your title is, for this one is... Um, why Everything's Still Terrible. Everything's Still Terrible. No, just, every, yeah, Everything's Still yeah. Terrible. We're everything's not, not going to explain why, we're just going to say it is. <laughs> yeah, Everything's Still Terrible. Yeah. And then brackets, there's a pandemic on, you know. So I think that's yeah. what we'll call it. That's the plan. That's the episode. Well, the plan is to make everyone feel okay about the fact you don't feel okay. Like that's, yeah. if, if, if this podcast is a success, that is how you'll feel at the end. Much more okay about the fact you don't feel okay. Yeah. We're d- and and we will feel also feel that way. Yeah. No. No, I, don't feel, I wouldn't say I feel miserable about this at all. I just, yeah. it's just, it's just being, being with the feelings, which we always yeah. talk about being super important because it is, but it's just allowing ourselves to be with the really, weird tangle of feelings that we have about being in a pandemic and not being able to do the things mm. that we can we usually do and not being able to live our lives in the way that we might want to. yeah and i think when you share that with people like every time i've come together with people in last week and we've just talked about everything's still terrible and the particular ways in which we're struggling now maybe that's just been such a relief yeah. you know for, for everyone concerned i think it's like when people have named things that you know i was like oh god i'm really struggling with this you know mm. what's what's going on with me that's a bit of a bad sign and then somebody else has said same thing you know mm. that and named it it's just been yeah. like oh yeah so i hope that podcast will will do a bit of that for people um if, if you're needing it that sense that it's just okay to not feel okay well this is the thing is that if we're mm. not making space for these conversations we're actually just gaslighting each other aren't we because yeah. if we're kind of like meeting up with people or um going for a walk with someone or having a drink in a beer garden or something like that and everyone's just kind of like chatting about their lives and not talking about the mm-hmm. fact that there is a pandemic on and it's really weird and we all have difficult feelings then it is a kind of a, a kind of a benevolent kind of uh, low-key gaslighting isn't it and it's, oh, still yeah. it's not good exactly it's not good gaslighting. well it's not i mean you know i'm gonna keep uh, dropping Gabor Mate into every podcast because I'm super into him. He's so great. And he's like, you know, everything mental and physical health stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's all about this inauthenticity. It's all about covering mm. over. It's all about not allowing yourself to feel your feelings. Like I knew this stuff was important mm. already for mental health stuff, but I'm no expert in kind of medical stuff. But Gabor Mate is saying this biopsychosocial approach to medicine mm-hmm. and saying exactly the same with physical health. There is just paper after paper that shows mm. that your physical health is all just as impacted by covering over not feeling your feelings not having your boundaries same mm. stuff so yeah it really is important at times like this that we find safe enough people that we can share that stuff yeah. with um and hopefully even to the point of just yeah listening listening to a couple of people doing real talk about mm. this hopefully will be to a certain extent alleviating if you have been feeling like oh what's wrong with me everybody mm. else seems to be fine yeah well i think that learns on lean um 
Ah, leans on to, leads on to um, <laughs> something else that I've been thinking about as well and, and reading and, and listening to. Um, actually, shameful, I can't remember the woman's name, but um, someone who's written a book called The Hologram, um, mm. which is all about a, a more peer-based way of approaching health. So like a peer-to-peer way of doing health. And, oh, um, cool. Uh, and the well, probably I'll probably talk about this in greater detail another time because I've not read the book yet. And um, there are some other resources that I want to read as well. But it's just to say at this point that there's a lot that we can do with each mm-hmm. other around looking after each other's health generally. And if we don't, and as Gabo Mate is saying, as we always talk about as well, that there is a futility and a problem with separating off the body from the mind, like the body is the mind and the mind is the yeah. body, right? So um, mm-hmm. uh, when we do that and when we kind of treat an arm as an arm rather than it being part of an entire body and, and, and mind, um, just giving an arm as, a, as an example that could be any body part, then mm. um, that we're not really holistically treating the whole self and really the only way to be... to be treated well through the health system or to be healthy is for everything to be looked at and for everything to be considered in this biopsychosocial way as Gabon Matter was saying so perhaps at some point we might do a podcast about how we might actually do this with each other I mean I guess we're informally doing it with you dear listener but maybe sometime we could perhaps do a specific one about literally how we can listen to each other therapeutically how we can um be advocates mm. for each other how we can get a really good picture um of each other's uh health needs well it um, makes me think it is so connected with the other stuff going on around the black lives matter uprising because that's mm. the same stuff is coming out of that if you listen to the podcast um alex c and taffy did around sort of dis- uh, on gender stories about dismantling the police um with Deanna really good um, episode and exactly what they're saying is like, how do we do, how do we do, how how do we train everybody up in community that we can do conflict management and that we can do um, helping each other out when we're traumatized and reactive and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's really interesting that same, you know, uh, I think it's Cassie Thornton has written this book that you were That's referencing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it sounds like from the health angle and then from this kind of, you know, criminal justice angle, getting to the same place as where the pandemic also puts us that community care and how mm. can we skill ourselves up to, you know, that Deanna on this podcast was, is a social worker, but we're saying we shouldn't be having social workers. It's not like we need to replace the police with social workers. We should be no. training everybody up to be able to listen to each other well and, you know, help each other when they're traumatised. Well, this is the thing that Gabor Mattis mm. says, isn't it? It's that mm. um, the one thing that we can actually change is the environment, and that's the thing yeah. that we need to change. Like there's so much focus. In a podcast I was listening to yesterday, he was saying um, mm. that uh, this is – I feel like we've gone on to a different podcast topic, but <laughs> we'll come back. We'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's useful stuff to listen to. Um, yeah. But he was saying that you know, there's so much focus in terms of health on looking at genetics. And he's like, well, I find it really boring to talk about genetics because really what can we do about it? Um, mm. What we can do is change the environment. So genetic factors only, uh, genetic factors change, biological factors change according to the environment that we're in. And that's the thing. It's that yeah. biopsychosocial bio- uh, focus. Um, and... So we wouldn't need social workers if society wasn't so unequal and rendered in um, so much mm. injustice and so much oppression. We would yeah. need 
certainly very fewer, many fewer social workers. Um, and maybe there'd be more educators, police. more helping people, clue people up. It's Deanna Ayers, just to say yeah. the right person. So yeah, Cassie Thornton, Deanna Ayers and Gabor Mate are the people yeah. we're, whose ideas we're playing with right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah. hadn't planned to talk about them in the podcast. No, otherwise and, we'd have had them, in. but they're all, they're all awesome. So <laughs> you should read, read all of them. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that uh, to those authors if, um, and podcasters if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> Should we talk so, about what we meant to talk about? Yeah, with so that as the backdrop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me find the tab again. Where am I? Okay, so we're literally going to. It's another catch up, really. It's another episode, which is basically look, pointing out that look, we're in a pandemic and this is really weird and it's the mm. first time we've experienced this in over a century. So I'm not. I, I mean, I'm old and I'm I'm not old enough to remember the Spanish flu, mm. and um, it's very. We're living in really weird, strange times, and it's just really yeah. like, useful to point it out. So, um, a friend of yours, MJ. Uh, yes, Alice Johnson, another friend of the show who may come on as a guest at some point um, because he's be awesome great. and has many interesting ideas. But um, put me onto this paper. Um, you can you can check it out online. It's called Phases of Disaster. It's on the SAMHSA.gov uh, website where we found it. But it comes from a paper by Zunin and Myers, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cited in a manual for mental health and human service workers in major disasters. Anyway, w- what we're looking at is this graph that they came up with mm-hmm. um, of phases of we'll a disaster. We'll link to it in the notes. Yeah, and it's just really useful because, you know, as, as Ellis was saying to me when, when we met yesterday, just that sense of like, what, yeah, how, how does... I guess we're used to phases of grief as ideas, aren't mm. we? Maybe we've touched on that before. Um, a sort of personal, like that when something big hits, you go through different phases afterwards, mm. you know, and you can think of those classic kind of bereavement um, studies, etc. Um, you know, all that kind of depression, anger, bargaining, yeah. all that. And, and it's like, you know, but th- this is kind of a graph of how it tends to go for everybody following mm. a major disaster, right? To where their kind of emotional state is. It's kind of mapping emotional low to emotional high mm-hmm. and then time yeah yeah so mm-hmm. we're just going to use this as a jumping off point to help us to frame where we are in in coronavirus and to to talk yeah. about how we're still in a pandemic and to make it okay for us to talk about the difficult feelings that we might have when when being still in being in a pandemic but i guess we're not it, saying that this yeah. is the only way of looking at this there might oh be yeah other. like and it's going to be different for different people depending yeah. on what else you've got on all that usual stuff of what it means for you and etc but i suppose the point is like, maybe the key point for me is like the impact bit of the graph when the thing actually hits mm. is still quite a lot higher than where we're getting to or maybe at at the moment which is yeah. this kind of disillusionment period so you know you may feel worse than you did even when it hit and you may say to yourself that's Mm. not okay i should be feeling better you know Mm. actually things are a bit easier we're not in such a lockdown you could do all this kind of um undermining to yourself but you know from this graph this is suggesting the research Mm. suggests you you would be somewhere like this right now yeah so we're going to go through the phases of this graph and Mm. um the phase that we're in, we reckon, is phase five, the disillusionment phase. Phase, and mm. uh, on this link that uh, you'll be able to read along if you want to, dear listener, dear gentle, soft, smooth, silky, smooth <laughs> listener, fuzzy, uh, fuzzy, the fuzzy ones. Let's not forget yeah. the fuzzy ones and the rough ones. Never. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So I'll read out the paragraphs and then we can use each of these as a jumping off point. So phase one is the pre-disaster phase characterized by fear and uncertainty. The specific reactions of community experiences depend on the type of disaster. Disasters with no warning can cause feelings of vulnerability and lack of security, fear of future, unpredicted tragedies, and a sense of loss of control or the loss of the ability to protect yourself and your family. On the other hand, disasters with warning can cause guilt or self-blame for failures to heed the warnings. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pre-disaster phase may be as short as hours or even minutes, such as during a terrorist attack, or it may be as long as several months, such as during a hurricane season. I wow. guess for us in the UK, mm. that's quite um, profound. And I think also in the US, it's quite profound as well because we had warnings. Like we knew this yeah. was going to happen. And mm. we didn't really heed the warnings. And it was even happening. Uh, and scientists uh, suggest that. Uh, so the guy who was on Independent Sage, who got sacked for having his uh, love around to his house during the lockdown, Neil Ferguson, I think his name is. Um, mm suggested that if we'd have gone into lockdown in the UK 10 days earlier, we'd have had half the number of deaths. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely a, a failure to the warning, warnings and also a complete lack of preparation. The um, mm-hmm. Signet uh, report, which uh, was commissioned under, under Theresa May, which was looking at how we might deal with the pandemic, was pretty much uh, ignored. Um, mm-hmm. Stocks of PPE were... Uh, incredibly low we just didn't have enough PPE we didn't have Mm. enough ventilators and we weren't prepared with the public health messaging and we weren't prepared to go into lockdown like other countries did like um, Germany South Korea Vietnam um, and and other countries Mm. even though we had the warning Uh, China Gone. Yeah, I'm just thinking it's almost like we have both though. Like you know, it's, it divides disasters with no warning and disasters with um with a warning, and it's like we had almost like the worst of both worlds because people didn't feel at all warned about it, but the government was kind of warned. And I suppose you could say also everyone should have been more clued up with all the stuff about climate crisis and the impacts that it might have. So, Mm. you know, it's quite likely that people had both that sense of like, oh, we weren't warned, this has come out of nowhere, but also maybe some of the guilt and self-blame around, we should have had some sense of this, maybe we could have been more clued up. So I guess in terms of individuals and community, it might be that, that both of those things was in play. Well, I think it's important there that we that we delineate the 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 individual and the and the, yeah. the state there, right? The we know that climate change um, and the climate crisis has is one of the certainly one of the contributing factors to to correct to COVID nineteen because it is zoonotic. So yeah, it um, it came. Um, from an animal, it's it an illness that was originally in an animal, and then it got transferred into into humans. And zoonotic um, uh, viruses are much much more likely as we further encroach into different parts of the planet. And there is the in, ecosystems, yeah, yeah, mm. uh, and the yeah, and the destruction of various ecosystems, meaning we're coming into more contact with animals. There was also mm. the, the um, there's more complicated stuff going on there as well. But that is one we are. We should prepare ourselves for more viruses. Like this is a thing yeah. that if the, if the climate continues at the current rate uh, to um, be in crisis, then we should prepare ourselves as individuals. But there's only so much that individuals can do. States, yeah. like we are wanting. One of the things that governments should really be doing, like the main thing governments should be doing, is to protect us. And mm-hmm. 
even with this government that we with in the UK we've just lost this election we lost the election to Boris Johnson one of the most right-wing governments that we've ever had in the UK and so those of us on the left were pretty depressed about things anyway but but the one thing that we should expect from any government is that we get protected and yeah. mm -hmm. they had not heeded the warnings mm -hmm. they hadn't had enough, enough infrastructure they hadn't planned well enough and there were no plans that they could put into place mm -hmm. and so so we do have a sense of both of those things it was happening to it was happening to the government but it was also happening to us via the government yeah yeah that's mm -hmm. the important thing there definitely um, should we, anyway we were in that phase i i'm glad we're not in that phase anymore yes whatever, i think whatever happens to um if there is going to be a second wave or a continuation of the first wave however we're characterizing it to me hopefully it doesn't feel like we're going to be in a phase one again um and certainly not with that that lack of warning phase one no. of like this has come out of nowhere yeah like yeah. people are prepared now and yeah it wouldn't be going quite back to that it's completely yeah completely hitting so. us yeah yeah um mm. so phase two so shall i read this one yeah go on yeah let's alternate phase right. two the Im the impact phase is characterized by a range of intense emotional reactions as with the pre-disaster phase the specific reactions also depend on the type of disaster that's occurring slow low threat disasters have psychological effects that are different from those of rapid dangerous disasters as a result these reactions can range from shock to overt panic Initial confusion and disbelief typically are followed by a focus on self-preservation and family protection. The impact phase is usually the shortest of the six phases of the disaster. Mm. Mm. Again, we're definitely beyond that bit. That, one of the things that I've heard from people is that at this bit where people went into uh, the focus on self-preservation and when people started to mm. understand what a lockdown was and that whole thing about this was I mean, the toilet was that, roll phase, right? There was the toilet roll phase, <laughs> yeah. which we talked about in a, a different episode, but we'll talk about it again. Um, but there was that kind of self-preservation phase, and there was a panic there about during the um, toilet paper phase. <laughs> Apparently, that was not due to that was not due to panic buying. That was due to how supermarkets work. Um, right. Supermarkets don't keep that stuff in huge warehouses. You know, when we go to a supermarket, we might imagine that. Um, they are they that they the, all the toilet paper that they have there comes from a huge warehouse where they've got a massive amounts of toilet paper that they're just bringing in every day and surely they mm. could have just made more and actually what supermarkets do is they rely on very complicated algorithms where they predict what it is that we're going to buy at any particular time and they have the toilet rolls made just in, in and delivered just in time in order to make right. it so in order to make it more like seamless and more cost effective for them because supermarkets are all about cost cutting and cutting down um the cost of doing everything so this is what we call just-in-time delivery which is something that we have in uk car manufacturing which is something which is going to be affected by brexit which we might talk about in a bit so mm -hmm. but uh, there was definitely that panic of uh i'm running out of toilet paper uh food uh but other people are also saying that they found the phase two element of this almost easier than what the what they're dealing with now yeah what come to when we get to phase five is that everyone knew what it is you're supposed to do like everyone knew mm. just get home if you yeah. don't if your work isn't essential if you're not a frontline key worker you work from home um you only go out for exercise and to go to the shops and you wash mm. your hands and 
mask wearing came along later, but it was really clear what it was you were supposed to do. And a lot and of people like the certainty around that. Yeah, it goes kind of down from pre-disaster to impact, but not that much, does it? And then no. it quickly, quite quickly starts going up again. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So phase three is char- the heroic phase, mm. characterized by a high level of activity with low level of productivity. Uh, during this phase, there is a sense of altruism, and many community members exhibit adrenaline-induced rescue behavior. As a result, risk assessment may be impaired. The heroic phase often passes quickly into phase four. Yeah, so this one's interesting, phase? isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we had a sense, I was wondering about this in relation to wanting to have heroes as well, because mm. I feel like during this phase, there was this real, like, the NHS are the heroes, the key workers are the heroes, you know, we mm-hmm. had the applause and everything. Um, and also the sense of uh, the mutual aid communities, how you mm-hmm. can get involved, I suppose. And it also makes me think about Black Lives Matter. There was a similar wave, I guess, of like people just really wanting to act immediately mm. and kind of flag, you know, Black Lives Matter and be mm. doing a bunch of stuff, you know, reading all the books and doing all the things and, you mm. know, giving money, etc. There's the kind of phase of like big activity, um, which again has been sort of critiqued in the way they're saying here of like it can be, you know, your, your risk assessment can be impaired. You might mm. be doing like just way too much and burning out in this phase. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so both are looking for heroes out there, but also trying to be a hero perhaps mm. in this phase, but it, it fairly short-lived because then you're like, oh, how do I do this for long-term? It's a marathon, not a sprint, that kind of thing. Well, I think here they're talking about, you know, exhibiting adrenaline-induced rescue behavior. I, I imagine that in, in like an earthquake or um, yeah. like a... a um, Apparently, we shouldn't use the term natural disasters because uh, that's the, the the disaster is the is society uh, yeah. not building not building an infrastructure and building communities that can incorporate uh, natural events. But anyway, um, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So um, you know, if you live in California, uh, mm. don't build you know brick houses or whatever. You need to. You well, know, it's a bit like a bit like calling calling people disabled people rather than people with disabilities because mm. it emphasizes that you're disabled by society and if society was built in such a way that it encompassed all bodies then you wouldn't necessarily be disabled it sort of seems like a similar yeah, yeah. so what are you meant to call them just disasters I, I think everyone calls them natural disasters but yeah. uh, i think that they are probably more accurately natural events and the disaster is oh i see so it's not the natural because i suppose there's a there's a binary there about man-made slash natural is often yeah. what people would you know but actually that that's not a yeah it's like everything's everything's both human impacted and environment impacted like both probably yeah and then the disaster bit we could also quibble with and say it's event and did it have to be a disaster yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean this is why um this is not the point that I wanted to make, but I could, it's Sorry. probably a good point. This is an interesting that, tangent. But, you know, but the thing is, is that, right, so with the pandemic, so to be specific about this, with COVID-19, this is definitely like a kind of a natural disaster. We have always had coronaviruses. Yeah. And, but we, are, we have been more likely to have coronaviruses because of globalisation and because of climate breakdown. So, that is, so those viruses are increasing. And mm-hmm. the ability for those viruses to um, to harm more of us has increased because of the, na- the way that we've organised the planet. So, uh, and some con- in some countries, uh, 
coronavirus has not been a disaster. In some countries, it's been mm. very well handled. Until recently, Vietnam had no deaths, and they border wow. China. So wow. in Vietnam, and uh, uh, my girlfriend was out in Thailand at the beginning of this, in mm. Thailand, where they had very low number of cases compared to us, uh, and low number of deaths, um, because they're used to dealing with this, and they've got a society which is built for other uh, emerging viruses over the years, um, mm. as soon as news came in, it was like, okay, everyone's got their masks on. A lot of people were wearing masks in public anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, we're checking everyone's temperatures at the mall before you come in, you know, what the infrared temperature checkers, and everything is just completely set up to, mm-hmm. deal, to deal with it. Uh, borders yeah. were closed down. Apparently, Sri Lanka have had a very good um, coronavirus. I mean, um, the, you know, where the, the I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not completely down with shutting borders, but in order to shut to shut borders, in order to mm. contain a virus, um, yeah. is a really good way of containing a virus. So, some, in some countries, it's not been a disaster. Is my point? Yeah, it's been That's a virus a really good that point. they've handled. And yeah. in other countries, the neoliberal capitalist ones, it has been mm-hmm. um, it has been it has been a disaster. Particularly those mm. that had didn't have the excuse of not knowing it was happening. Like, um, you know, in the UK and in the US, we had, we could see what was happening, not in Wuhan, but also in Lombardy in Italy. Like, we could see Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, So, that's all I'm saying there, uh, is that, um, is to... Is that it's interesting to think about shifting the focus of what a disaster Mm. means, because what will happen is that a government will say, and we already hear it from the Conservative government here, is that they'll say... We couldn't have predicted this. This is a natural disaster. It's, uh, you know, we've done the best that we can. We might have made some mistakes, but, you know, mm. who would have dealt well with this? Well, actually, any country yeah. that would, had any preparation for this and had any in- infrastructure to deal, to deal with this would have dealt yeah. with it way better. Yeah. Um, so there, it is super political. If they're trying to, uh, yeah, uh, you can't separate off the political from, from the health, like from... Yeah public health because public health is politics yeah uh, yeah well again it sort of feels like that some akin to the gabo mate thing if you can't separate the genetic bit from the environment bit it's like here you can't you can't separate this natural bit from the bit that politics influences like it's just there completely interlinked again on this gabo, mm. gabo mate podcast he was talking about the uh i can't remember his exact phrase but he was talking about the, he was using an analogy of like the trauma and the pain in the body and mm. the, the, the pain that the state feels in the, in the, in, in the state's body. This is a bit, no, I like a, it. a bit tenuous, but I think it's good. And yeah. if we think about countries, this is a real leap. So this is like really speculative and this is like <laughs> just, but go with me on this, right? I'm going with you. I'm there. Like, think about the countries in the world that have experienced pain. Like, the yeah. states in the world where they've experienced what, you know, what trauma feels like. And think about the states in the world that have dealt with coronavirus better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they're the ones that have felt that pain before. They know what it is to feel pain and to protect themselves from pain. Think of yeah. those countries in the world where they haven't felt that, where they've been empire builders and mm. um, have never been humble and... Um, <laughs> And I've never felt that pain, and I never even—I don't even want to feel embarrassed by the history mm. of, it, of their countries, uh, the UK, the US, yeah, maybe Brazil, right? Mm. Look at those countries and how poorly they've managed it. And so, 
Um, I'm not saying it's direct link. I just think it's interesting to think about. Anyway, yeah, I think it's a very interesting analogy. Gabo Mate. Gabo Mate. Read, read him. Listen to him. It's awesome. I, I think we'll definitely be coming back to that on the on the show. Um, phase four. Should I read this? Yeah. Phase four, the honeymoon phase. Um, um, we already have lots of thoughts and feelings about honeymoon mm. phases on this podcast. No. It's, character- yeah. <laughs> it's characterized by a dramatic shift in emotion. During the honeymoon mm. phase, disaster assistance is readily available. Community bonding occurs. Optimism exists that everything will return to normal, mm. uh, back to normal quickly. Mm. <laughs> As a result, numerous opportunities are available for providers and organizations to establish and build rapport with effective people and groups and for them to build relationships with stakeholders. The honeymoon phase typically lasts only a few weeks. Yeah, we definitely had that. Yeah. Um, the clapping for mm. key workers and uh, NHS workers, which uh, I stopped doing after a while because uh, I thought it was um, awful. Uh, but also, <laughs> it did feel really nice to be part of a mutual aid network. Like I've talked about yeah. this on the podcast before that, you know, I'm, my name is on the list of like a thousand people who are here in on the estate that I live on in London uh, who are there ready to help other people. And yeah. um, that feels good. I feel like connected. I do feel more a sense of being bonded in my community. And there are organizations and helping people and we're still I think we're still in a phase mm. where people where the government is still um providing some help to people and mm-hmm. a lot of those a lot of that help has been fought for a lot um yeah particularly the grant to the arts uh people working in the arts like 1.4 billion pound grant to um people working in the arts industry that was a uh, hard fought for and very late and uh, mm. too late in many cases um grants that is uh being and obviously they're relying on the major arts organizations to distribute that money which uh comes with its own problems but there was certainly that feeling of the honeymoon mm. phase of like people coming together and being able to get through it and what we call here the like the blitz spirit like you know yeah which is bollocks uh, the blitz spirit is yeah. not a thing um the blitz spirit happened happens everywhere but the idea of people coming mm. together uh, under adversity and recognizing that, that the interconnectedness of people was definitely something that we all felt i, I mean i think as uh, usual it's Most useful to think more that more that sense of what it opens up and what it closes down right mm. and again i think looking to black lives matter and the kind of critique of performative um allyship mm. is quite helpful here it's like it's sort of like what how we would critique the honeymoon period in relationships right mm. you know we, we would say well the, the risk is it's this kind of biopsychosocial moment when everything's all feeling mm. wonderful for all these various reasons but it doesn't have that sustaining power no. and if we haven't put good foundations in place mm-hmm. if we build the foundations of a relationship on a honeymoon period mm-hmm. then it's really risky because after yeah. the honeymoon period you've got no foundations and i think that's what you know a lot of activists will say like you know we don't want we don't want this big performative activism in the honeymoon period when you're feeling this rush of enthusiasm and, mm. you know, um, and, and a, a kind of solidarity that, that maybe isn't very sustainable. What we want is people building much more strong, sustainable foundations to keep doing this long term because these are not just, you know, overnight. Um, and, and maybe that's a bit different for different kinds of disasters or um, events. But with, with this, this one, 
with both of these two that we're that we're talking about there the pandemic and black lives matter it's it's a really long-term work that's needed um so we've, we should be cautious about honeymoon periods and especially when we look at a graph like this and realize that a honeymoon period might well be followed by this big dip into disillusionment yeah. you know perhaps we could be working to not go up into this honeymoon but rather to kind of stay stay on the same level so that we don't also have to then dip into the disillusionment or or burnout well there's that's mm. really good points like the honeymoon period is like the high mm. point on the graph and then yeah and then we'll have a real drop and i think that this graph um yeah. this graph would only be in um you can't help but separate out this graph from um capitalism Right, this, mm. I think this graph might look very different in different countries. Yeah, I think this graph point. would look very different in Norway, right? Yeah, yeah. Think, for mm-hmm. example, um, but uh, just to say about so the reason we're talking about Black Lives Matter here is that Black Lives Matter, of course, isn't. Uh, we're not talking about that as a disaster, but Black Lives Matter happened hand mm. in hand with the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. The coronavirus, um, and there was a synergy between corona, the COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. And, mm-hmm. But also I think that one of the things that I'm, I think is different from the uprisings in the US um, around Black Lives Matter and also to a lesser extent around the world is that there is more organisation. This feels different yeah. to Black Lives Matter from 2014-2015, which were where there was that initial burst of energy and initial uprisings, mm. which kind of dissipated, they feel more organized. So this is where organization um, yeah. is really, really important. So there are many cities in the US where there have been um, protests every day, um, yeah. ever, you know, for the last, for the last few months. Um, mm. And the coronavirus has put, uh, has really shone the light on the inequality in America and how racialized that inequality is. And we have that here in the, in the mm. UK too, but it feels like more organization there. So I think that, there, mm. that I don't, I don't see it as a honeymoon phase. I see it still as the beginning. No, of- I was more saying that I think when, when the, there was a sort of wave of allyship yeah. after the Black Lives Matter uprising, yeah. and that was quite critiqued, and there was quite a weariness from a lot of the black activists who were involved yeah. with Black Lives Matter. That's that's the bit I was trying to. I agree. Think of that that had that feeling of like honeymoon period, and then everybody leaves it, and it's like I think that's what was being said is like we need something more sustainable and ongoing, yeah. which is what you know how we're organising. But yeah, if you want to get involved you know get involved with that and for the long for the long haul and do a lot of listening initially rather than doing this honeymoon performative allyship and then you know stopping doing everything and i think that's what's different i think that your so Mm. your analogy there is really uh really really useful one because i do think that that the 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 honeymoon period built on strong foundations and something which is um this feels much more like um civil rights movement in the 60s than it does with any subsequent kind of protest uh, or uprising which were just dismissed as like riots and um Mm. you know this feels like because also it is the many of the people on the street are there because they are also leftists and yeah uh, and they felt uh organized and emboldened after the um the resurgence of the left in the us which Mm. we both think is great yeah. Uh, right. So we have the honeymoon phase, which lasts only a few weeks, and now we reckon we're in phase five, which is like, <laughs> if you look on the graph, um, it's a pretty long period. There's a big steep mm. drop from the honeymoon period. This is we're in the lowest point, and mm. it's really long period. 
Yeah, and, and even when oh, it comes God. back up, it's a bit jolty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the disillusionment yeah. phase is a stark contrast to the honeymoon phase. During the disillusionment phase, communities and individuals realize the limits of disaster assistance. As optimism turns to discouragement and stress continues to take a toll, negative reactions such as physical exhaustion or substance abuse may begin to surface. The increasing gap between need and assistance leads to feelings of abandonment. Especially as the larger community returns to business as usual, there may be an increased demand for services as individuals and communities become ready to accept support. The, di the disillusionment phase can last months and even years. It is often extended by one or more trigger events, usually including the anniversary of the disaster. Mm. So again, bear in mind, dear listener, that obviously this is looking at the this is looking at disasters that have occurred probably over the last like fifty, sixty, hundred years or something. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we've had over that period of time is capitalism. So yeah. I do think I do honestly think I, mm. yeah, I do think that if we had, I'm not even extolling Marxism or communism, but I do think that if that that. Um, that so-called natural disasters happening in different parts of the world under different circumstances might not have such a long disillusionment phase. In fact, there might not be yeah. a disillusionment phase. Well, it would be really different if they were seen as part and parcel of life, you know, I guess, mm. yeah, again, it, as well as the kind of economic model, also the sort of philosophical system in play. You know, we have, we have such a kind of graph always goes up, you know, happiness, positive mm -hmm. industry, don't we? Whereas mm -hmm. if you look at sort of Buddhist philosophy, for example, being the one I'm familiar with, where it's like suffering's part of life, that's built mm -hmm. in, you expect impermanence, mm -hmm. that's going to give you a very different take on this kind of thing, which is unlikely to go honeymoon and then disillusionment if you're, if you're really embracing that this is, this is an inevitable part of life. Well, this is the thing is that we're living under full scarcity. So we have enough resources yeah. in the world for everyone just to be on like a pretty much a continuum. And so mm -hmm. for everyone to have that fun and sunshine, there's enough for everyone. Would that be a George Michael? On G. Michael. <laughs> um, and there is. And, yeah. uh, and, that full, and in countries where there is fun and shine, sunshine enough for everyone, this feels like a much flatter line. Like you wouldn't mm. have a honeymoon phase because it would be like, it's all right, we've got this, the government, the state communities that have infrastructure and are empowered and are run and there was collectivity and cooperation and democracy and um, a more just and equal um, share of resources everywhere, share of power everywhere. Um, they'll be like, we've got this, it's okay. Mm. And so there's not much of a honeymoon period and there's not much of a disillusionment period. We don't need heroes. It's just yeah. like, we've got this. Mm. We, this is a thing that we deal with. Yeah. Because we've got the long-term plan. We, you know, this is, is how it should be. And so mm. this, um, the disillusionment phase that we're in is not inevitable and yeah. uh, we could have it a different way and that is a th one of the things that <laughs> makes me really disillusioned <laughs> yes yeah but it's really... i think it's important to frame it in yeah, this physical way I before do. we talk about the 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 how we feel as individuals because the fact that we're entering mm. a phase of disillusionment and that there is a graph and that there is this paper written about this you know, i'm not seeing anything here about capitalism there's a lot of you know passive voice mm. about what the natural disaster naturally does to people there's yeah yeah exactly about any of this well no it's exactly the same with bereavement right you can you know you get these kind of oh it goes you know whatever it is 
bargaining, <laughs> depression, anger, depression, acceptance, whatever, you know, yeah. but that is within a very particular culture, you know, yeah. of a de- death-denying culture, which is what we have. Yeah. And if you look at bereavement and how it plays out in the different cultural contexts, you'll get, a, you know, in a, a context where it's assumed that your ancestors are always present with you, bereavement mm. has a very different meaning, a context where, you know, you mm. believe um, in reincarnation, it has a different meaning and, yeah. and a context where, you know, you see it, yeah, just same thing, right? Um, yeah. that the, the things that are seen as a disaster are going to be have very different meanings and how we respond to them very different meanings in different places and times but given that we do live in this one you know i guess as well as the wanting the solidarity and wanting the political action mm. i think there's something there's something following from that on what we were trying to say at the beginning of like it really is useful if we can share how we're actually feeling and what's actually going on for us Mm. authentically because that in a way is a way of resisting that capitalist model to this which Mm. says we should pretend to be other than we actually are yeah so you know actually yeah really being aware of our own feelings and brave enough to articulate them to others Mm -hmm. and to create networks of and develop networks of shared support is really Mm. vital here isn't it it really is and mm. to understand that you know we're all in mutual aid networks that involve the that where we might bring around you know a um a microwave curry to someone's house if they're having to um self-isolate but also mm. you know are the ways where we can help people feel less lonely um can mm. we you know make sure that we feel connected with people um even though the in the uk in most parts of the uk the lockdown is easy enough where people can where everyone can now actually um see other people there's no shielding anymore um but there is a disillusionment and a fear that that might be taken away again quite soon and Mm. that there is like a i've certainly noticed that that a lot of the zoom calls that i was really enjoying kind of ended because yeah people have wanted to connect with people in real life and um, I think that's a shame because I think it's a real shame and also yeah it doesn't get at the disparity you know some people are still shielding some people are still sh- choosing to shield because it is yeah. too risky for them health wise yeah. you know it's again you know we go back you know we're, we're something we're saying at the beginning of this sort of following from disability activism you know as it was you know an, enabling people to realize that people have very different needs um, and what it's like when you have to be really kept cautious about getting viruses and you yeah. know it, it feels like that's real shame if that's falling away if we're just going back to the default of the most privileged person or the most mm. um the least at risk body and like oh if they can go on a picnic then we'll have a picnic and then people who can't go will just have to lump it you know it's it's oh, yeah i just really hate that that seems to be falling away we should be keeping Thank these you. systems that work for everybody i think also mm the it's easier to not do things when the 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 social script and the tide is is saying to us don't do things yeah actually what we still need people to do is to not do things but the direction of travel Mm. is to do more things because the social script and the narrative here political narrative is to open up everything and to to do the stupid eat out to help out thing and uh, you know let's go let's everyone go to the pub and so the social script is on us all to do more. We're on an escalator and we can't mm. just kind of, it's harder for us to stay where we want to be and to stay on the comfortable step or to step down one step. Yeah. And so it feels like the, a lot of the stuff around consent that I think was coming in that was quite useful. We did an episode around coronavirus and consent. Mm. It feels like, um, because the social script has changed, that's making it harder. And everything feels a little bit, although things yeah. are slowly moving in this direction, it is clearly moving in a direction. 
and um, I think yeah, that, and it's that like puts if, extra if pressure on us. I agree. It's like if we were back to oh, handshakes was the classic mm-hmm. the way that we and we haven't gone back to that. No, but it's we have gone back in other ways to other kinds of contact, which may not be safe enough for everybody. Mm. Um, and I also think we're in a a really potentially kind of mutually traumatizing time that we really need to keep an eye on because mm. um, I was thinking about this yesterday. You've got one. We, you, maybe some people fit into both groups, but you could say we've kind of got a group of people who um, really who really haven't had their needs met, you know, for sort of human contact, physical touch, been very isolated. Mm. That that group of people may be feeling really needy and desperate and mm. maybe pushing at other people's boundaries for like more contact or mm-hmm. pushing for physical contact or even sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Now we're here. But we've also been really traumatized by going through a pandemic and those of us who mm. already carry a lot of trauma may be really uh, vulnerable mm-hmm. to boundary pushing and people kind of being yeah. like pushing harder than they might have done. So, you know, I think that's, that's something that puts us in this kind of really tough place where we're often getting quite quite triggered by people or we're, mm. we're really either we're having our boundaries crossed or we're not getting our needs met or both um yeah. and that's feeling yeah really tough um yeah and i don't see people talking about that very much no mm. i think one of the ways that i've dealt with that personally not to go into too much mm. detail about me but one of the things that i found helpful here is to view is to view myself not as an individual because i'm now mm. in a support bubble so in order to see my girlfriend i've had to i joined her bubble and so mm. i now no longer have to when other people are um when there's a possibility of having um contact with other people uh i have to consider not just me like ethically i'm no longer yeah. just this individual so it is this kind of and and actually that's true for all of us all of the time but in mm. this particular instance you know i need to check in with everyone else about how they feel about so important someone else yeah and so but there is a benefit there to me because it i think it's it, it, it's almost for you know for anyone who's like a people pleaser or um finds a certain boundaries um tricky for ourselves um when actually we're support where's where we're making a boundary for others is almost easier i think that we're yeah kind of, definitely um and so and it kind of gives you like a a, a it, it means that you have to bring in an element of slowness and deliberateness about your decisions about risk because your mm-hmm. uh, what you do is always going to be affecting other people and i think that is still a useful way of thinking about it even when we're post pandemic you know the mm. we have this um, i think one of the, the themes of our show is the extent to what extent to which are we um you know like uh free neoliberal agents so you know to what extent are we individuals um uh with our freedom to choose and um and how uh, and how important is it to think of us that way and are there other more valuable ways to think about um us yeah. and ourselves um and do like we over- more interdependent and interconnected yeah, yeah and i think that we overlook that and i think that mm. this is something that we you know when people talk about freedom and increasing our freedoms people often just think about their individual freedoms because that's the yeah. world that we're living in at the moment i think that, that this would be we would have a very different view of this in a different kind of world and maybe in a different country as well i think we would have a different but, idea yeah. of self that's why i like our i guess our usually our framing of consent is something around you know everybody be feeling as free enough and as safe enough 
you know to express their needs and boundaries yeah. and that that feels like a more collective way of understanding it so that's that's the, what we'd be doing here i suppose it's like yeah this you know somebody says shall we do this you're mm. not just thinking of you you're thinking of that whole bubble and the potential impact you know and also what does it look like if you share that that on social media that you did that you know what are you contributing to mm-hmm. same with the kind of feeling stuff that we were just touching on it's like mm. yeah we we have um we have an impact you know if we just pretend that we're feeling okay versus if mm. we share our actual feelings um yeah. and but also it impacts us like if we if all of our sort of support network are are pretending and aren't being very real then mm-hmm. that's going to make it really difficult for us to so we're seeing ourselves as embedded in mm-hmm. these multiple systems is a really good way yeah. to go i reckon yeah and i think um just to go back to the the being real and being honest about you know what's going on for us uh, in order that we allow other people and give other people permission to talk about what's going on for them as well as trying to you know when we mm-hmm. meet with people it's not just about like this kind of therapeutic talking idea and the this kind of mutual support but there is also the possibility for joy that we need to remember you know that, that yeah that given the limitations that we're in and living under a pandemic that we are still able to feel connected and feel joy mm. with other people as well as other feelings and that there that's is, the complexity that's yeah. i feel like that's the complexity of shared sorrow or shared yeah kind of darkness around this stuff is yeah. like actually there can be real joy yeah. in being like oh real talk this is what's happening isn't mm. it awful um you know then you feel connected like i think like the the joy of connection can come from like from any emotion mm. that's you know that's properly shared and heard and that yeah. that's sort of internal as well as external i really feel like when i can properly find a feeling in me mm. and express it from the part of me that's feeling it and really name it and really feel like i've heard it and i've like accompanied myself mm. with that feeling then there's a there is a real joy and a connectedness both yeah. to myself and to all others feeling this feeling Whereas, you know, when I'm kind of denying it to myself, I don't, I don't have anything like that. And it's so that I feel like the, yeah, the joy of connection piece isn't, isn't about only positive feelings. It can no. come from really hard feelings like shared yeah. anger, shared sadness can also bring with them that real joy of connection. Yeah. And the important mm. thing is the connection, isn't it? Because that's yeah. what we want. Mm-hmm. That's what we crave. And we can't yeah. have it through physical connection. We can't hug everyone and have sex mm. with everyone sadly um it depends on your can... definition of sex justin i feel like there's many kinds of sex we can be having with with all sorts okay, of people all right, right now all right, all right. <laughs> in person sex i hate it yeah. don't you hate it dear listener when people repeat your advice back to you <laughs> <laughs> thanks mate john it's all right my pleasure <laughs> um but yeah it's the it's it, the the I feel like we're both we're, <laughs> we're gonna we're both talking about Gabo Mate again. I think, but the, yeah. <laughs> the being real with your feelings and being also real. We've also talked about this before. Yeah, before maybe before Gabo Mate did. Who knows? But maybe. we haven't linked it. To, we haven't listened to linked it to physical health in the way that he does. No. So, yeah. But the we are social animals. Mm-hmm. The thing that that makes humans different from everyone else is that we learn from others, we connect with others, and we're friendly. Mm. I've got this from Humankind, the Rutger Bretman book that I've uh, I finished reading over the last couple of weeks. It's a superb book. And so the feelings are really important to feel because they help us to feel connected with someone else. So yeah. they're both as important as, as each other, aren't they? So it doesn't matter what the mm. feeling is, so long as you can 
identify it and articulate it and be it with someone else. It's the connection with someone else that's important. Yeah. So we which talked is, about, mm. we've talked about collective joy before and collective sadness and collective anger. And that, you know, the uh, Audre Lorde talked about collective anger as like the symphony um, mm. of, of, um, of anger and that that's what's happening in the BLM pro- uh, uprisings and protests. The, but it's the, the connectedness yeah. is the super important. It's, it's the thing that is the opposite of what, what is the opposite of disillusionment. It's the opposite yeah. of alienation. And so it is being human. There is no negative emotion. In fact, the only yeah. negative is to hide emotion yeah. because as long as we can be open with ourselves and with others, and it's a big ask, I know, and you've yeah. been taught to do the opposite um, in this culture and, and most of our upbringings. But if we can be open about that stuff with ourselves and others, then we feel that connection, you know, both internally just with ourselves and mm. then when we have conversations. Now, even shame, like shame is one of the worst emotions. But if you get together with somebody and share you know, you feel safe enough to share the things you're shamed about and so do mm. they. Oh my God, you know, relief, mm. you know, connectedness. It's like mm-hmm. one of the biggest connections you can possibly, you know, my sister and I got together a year or so back and did a bit of this, like some of the stuff we'd held on to from childhood mm. that we were deeply ashamed of. And it was like, all of that weight is gone. You know, mm. it's like just to have shared it with somebody who got it. Um, you know, a lot of people get that from therapy as well. So it's like, in a way, yeah, once your goal is, you know, it's a bit like how we have that different goal. For, you know, if your goal for sex is being present, mm. then all of this negativity around sex goes because you can be present to whatever's going on and it's not all about getting the, the orgasm. And I suppose similarly really with this is like, if your goal is simply to connect, mm then any emotion goes and then, you know, they can almost all stop being negative emotions because as long as you're just properly connected with yourself in them and with somebody else in them, then they have, they do this thing, this joy of connection. The disillusionment phase is also the most vulnerable Mm. phase for the most vulnerable people. And it's the most Mm. vulnerable phase for all of us who are living in systems, which are unkind and not cooperative and uncaring. So, uh, yeah. In the UK government for example at the moment um, so this is what they want they want this disconnectedness they want yeah. the disillusionment because that's how they get you and uh, yeah. they want us to feel like we are individuals with an individual stake in yeah. society and that we all want to get back what we put in but actually the thing that is mm-hmm. making us disillusioned um, is well one of, well, I guess one of the antidotes to the disillusionment is is to connect with others and exactly. try to find this way of connecting. So, dear listener, you're you're doing an inherently listen. You're maybe you're washing the pots, maybe you're going for a walk, maybe you're driving somewhere, maybe you're just kind of lying on your bed, looking at the ceiling, listening to us. And this, mm. what you're doing now, the problem, the problem, and the limitations of doing a podcast and listening to a podcast is that they're pretty solitary, and um, you do them. There isn't a connect. You might feel connected with us. But, mm-hmm. uh, but we can't have that connection with you. But you can have this with other people. So yeah. it's on you to take some of this stuff away and to be real with your friends and to be real mm. with your family and, say, and to talk about what your feelings are. Or the better conversation, I guess, yeah. first, maybe about, you know, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could be more real about this stuff, given yeah. that we know the impact on physical and mental health of not being real, given that we yeah. know how important this is for political action. Yeah, like, what would it take um, for us to be free and feel free enough and safe enough in these relationships to be able to be real in that way? And to be able to share mm. that around so that the, re- yeah. so the resource for that isn't unfairly falling on one person in your, in yeah. your system or your network. but. 
but mm. but that's the work isn't it that's the yeah so don't be one of those uh, don't be one of those people who will read like a self-help book or listen to an audio book or listen to a podcast and then think well that's a really good idea and not do anything mm. like the the doing here is a really political bit We're and it will make everything better it makes the world yeah. better it makes yeah. your own life better you know but yes i guess it's the, the caveat being that we know how hard it is you know you've and also we yeah, we struggle yeah. with us too. Like you've literally been trained to do the opposite. You've literally yeah. been trained your whole life. Your whole neurobiology has been trained. You know, if you had this at an early age, it wasn't really safe to be you, yeah. um, to express your needs, express your boundaries. You know, you you are dismantling that and putting something else in its place. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think this this kind of internal work is just so important mm-hmm. because um, yeah, it's not only liberates us, but it also makes us it possible for us to be in the world in that way that we're talking about That's well a so lot different. of it comes down to trust as well doesn't it and we've done an episode mm. about that which is a uh, um we have a useful episode but it's to ultimately yeah. that you that um is many of the things that are uh that make that make us make doing us work really difficult is that we've had a bad relationship with we've had bad relationships in the past or we've had uh, mm. regular ruptures of trust uh, that have felt made it too difficult and so that that leads us to being people who only want to be individual agents in control mm. of their 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 own world their own reading material what they want to watch on tv and the the you know the being able to choose everything that we as only as individuals want to do that we can curate our lives entirely as an individual but ultimately mm. in order to get through phase five and the disillusionment yeah. phase we have to be turn away from just us as individuals and try to lean yeah. into the more uh, we can do that the better others, yeah. and it relates to the other um pandemic podcast we did about fear and shame as well mm-hmm. that again when we're acting just as individuals and when we're kind of scared of our own feelings mm-hmm. and not being authentic there's a real tendency to just be frightened of others mm-hmm. and to shame others and to, and to be and angry at their others. behavior yeah yeah um whereas again this mode you know when you're properly listening to people mm-hmm. and you really get it you know even even if they're different from you, you know, you're really kind of hearing them, then there's much less likelihood that you treat them like that. Um, yeah. And that they, and that they in turn treat you like that. And you can build this much more trusting, safer, sustainable relationships mm-hmm. and communities that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Should we do the final phase? Just yeah. So phase six. Let's <laughs> which we're waiting for with bated breath. The reconstruction phase is characterized by an overall feeling of recovery Individuals and communities begin to assume responsibility for rebuilding their lives and people adjust to a new normal while continuing to grieve losses. Mm. The reconstruction phase often begins around the anniversary of the disaster and may continue for some time beyond that. Following catastrophic events, the reconstruction phase may last for years. Mm. Really interested in that it's like there's this sort of recovery and loss, Mm. you know, that the grief is important in there. You know, and again, it's like mm-hmm. in this sort of positive capitalist kind of mm-hmm. c- culture, there's this sense that it's only good if it's all happy, right? But, mm. you know, grief is grief is so wonderful. You know, it's yeah. so important to feel grief. And it's so, it can be such a relief. There can be such gratitude in grief. I feel like that's, there's something really good about the fact that it's recognizing that even in this, you know, or especially maybe in this reconst- reconstruction phase, feeling really tough feelings is valuable. Mm. yeah mm. i think for lots of people it's just not been possible to do it yet you know and yeah just, the disillusionment phase is a long one but i think we're very honestly i don't think we're very long into it um, no 
and it's only really getting to a point where people are well people are feeling grief in different ways and at different times but i think for a lot of mm. people it's going to be and it's not just about the grief of a of, of the loss of a loved one but just the many losses mm. and i think for a lot of people the losses have not hit them yet so the loss of job the loss of home uh, mm-hmm. um the, the losses of you know the, the things that we live around so lose have lost and continue to lose around the, our social lives and the things that we mm. enjoy doing and the um the there's a lot that we haven't even come to terms with around what we're losing yet and what we might continue to lose and again yeah, more no, nebulous no, nebulous losses like the loss mm. the loss of a, the loss of a summer you know that you yeah. might have thought was going to be very different or the loss of potential futures mm-hmm. which you may be you know do we grieve the loss of some of the things we thought we might be doing with our lives in the future when we don't mm. quite know whether we might be able to do them still or we might not be able to, you know, it's yeah. that nebulous losses are important to be mindful of as well. I know a lot of people are really like grieving, not being able to get married this year, you know, people had mm. mar- weddings planned and, um, you know, or other events, uh, holidays, um, mm. you know, not being, not being able to have the kind of funeral you wanted for yeah, yeah someone. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just, yeah, we're not even got to that bit uh, mm. as well. But also just again to say that we wouldn't need a reconstruction phase. Um, well, yeah. We would need less of a reconstruction phase under a different system or in different, in, in, I keep saying under, in a different country, but in a different tribe, in a different area, and under a different local government authority, mm. um, in... Uh, we're in different with different people in different communities, and certainly the, the you don't need reconstruction if you're living in um, yeah, a mansion uh, in you know Hertfordshire and you're living off uh, the wealth of others, and you know you're living mm. off like you know, like if your life hasn't changed, it doesn't need reconstructing. Uh, yeah, but the the fact that some people are going to have to go through significant upheaval to reconstruct their lives and to reconstruct their communities and for others it's barely going to affect them or they might even profit out of this mm. disgusting absolutely um, and it's, it's everything that is wrong um apple and again the it... first trillion dollar company the other day because people are buying apple products and fine you know people like ipods and ipads and things that's you know mm. but uh it's not right that that people can that one company can make it to can be worth two trillion dollars and that we're yeah. talking about a reconstruction phase after a after a disaster it's um that's affected all but of us that's it always brings me back well, to this analogy us, no it, it, it's like the this sort of idea of if you're built on shaky foundations then mm. it needs to collapse and you need to build yeah. f- stronger foundations but if a system is built on stru- you know whether that's an internal system in yourself mm. or your family system or an organization or political system like if it's mm. built on firm foundations mm. then we don't need to keep collapsing and rebuilding yeah. foundations because we have those firm foundations in place we just don't you know as long as the system is collapsing for some people then it's not working for anyone right mm. Mm. Yeah, well, I think we talked about that in our despair and hopelessness episode after the yeah. election. There's some like some power <laughs> when we had no idea what was around the no, corner. No oh idea. boy! Yeah. Oddly, I feel kind of more uh, energized and hopeful uh, mm. than I did at that time. That felt like a real kind of uh, that felt like a, a grief loss, and this yeah. feels like an ongoing 
situation it's like uh and i've not had i've not had to mm. feel anything personally or it does feel like we're in again like it feels like we're in a, a place of flux and it feels mm. like the it feels like the arguments being that we need to have are being made about what it is we need as a country as a as a world yeah um, you know and the fact that uh the climate crisis is is still very much something that is being talked about at a political level um even though it's not (laughs) there's no action or policy that is as yet urgent enough but it's still very Mm. much there in the background it's something it's still there's some hopefulness in in what this has raised awareness of you know in the same way as it's shown these disparities and people are talking about them more around race and hopefully class and and other matters as well yeah Yeah. i feel like it, it does there's a bit less hope in the way we were talking about that on that episode there's a bit mm. more bothness again this yeah. bothness this non-binary way and i suppose that's how i feel about the more personal traumas i've been going through that it's been like yes there's trauma and there's also this sense of really getting what i have to do and doing it which gives mm. that real sense of hope like i am you know changing this system in a way that's going to be more robust over time mm. i think this has a similar quality for me mm. especially when i'm talking with like-minded people around it of like well at least we're not pretending anymore again back to authenticity it's like mm. at least we're not pretending anymore i'm not pretending anymore to not be traumatized you mm. know we're not pretending anymore that you know this neoliberal capitalist model can work mm. um we don't quite know what we do but you know there are the people doing doing proper organized work around what alternatives might look like to the criminal mm-hmm. justice system and mm-hmm. um, hopefully to other systems as well mm-hmm. so there's something about that being part of a conversation of people who are are talking about it and doing things yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. feels like a good place to end yeah uh so if you enjoyed this episode uh, and you want to enjoy more of our episodes and you could always and also to support our podcast you could go to mm. our patreon patreon.com forward slash meg john and justin I'm not doing this for a while um, <laughs> where you can um support us from just a dollar a month and um listen to some exclusive episodes but also uh you'll help us turn this into a job and pay for our costs and things and uh that'll be really great if you could do that and we're on twitter at meg john justin um but do write to us via the website megjohnandjustin.com if you have any Mm. questions you'd like us to answer on an upcoming episode or any topics you'd like us to cover or if you'd like to buy any of our zines we have three zines don't we make your own user guide make create your own sex manual Funding us, understanding ourselves through erotic them. fantasies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all great zines, all available for instant download from four, just £2.50 each. They are worksheets that you will help you to um, map your, like, sort your life out. <laughs> yeah, and if you want more, you can also get our book, which is A Practical Guide to Sex. Yeah, um, featured in the bookshop the other day, didn't I? I saw it. Featured I saw it on in the, sale. Fem- the feminist bookshop Yay. in Brighton. Yeah, thank they you know so what's much up. to them. They do know what's up. And I tweeted a picture of it. So again, you can check that out on Twitter if you want to follow I'm us gonna, there. I'm going to retweet that just so that everyone can see that we're not making it up. We did write a book. It's the <laughs> best sex advice it's, book of all it's time. Not in, it's not in W.H. Smith's yet. No, you can buy That's, it from uh, W.H. Smith's, but just not in yeah. the shop. No, we'd like to see it there one day. No, yeah, never know. Waterstones. You never know. 
much, yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, you can actually get it in Waterstones. I've seen it in a Waterstones. Yeah, I've seen it in a Waterstones. It's only W.S. Smith's I'm still hanging yeah. out for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, have you, have you been into a W.S. Smith's lately, MJ? It's like... No. Celebrity... <laughs> oh, it's depressing. Well, for a start, yeah. they don't have very many books in there. So that's... It's all magazines. Reasons. It's all, yeah. like, stationery. Stationery you don't want to buy. Well, and, I do love stationery. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's not oh. good stuff. It's not that good stuff. Oh, okay. Do, listen, <laughs> do feel free to shut off at this, at this point. But <laughs> yeah, there's, nothing, there's no more girls coming. Obviously, the blowjob the blow tip is coming. Yeah, keep listening for the blowjob uh, So tip. keep listening for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they don't sell... They don't seem, I don't want to besmirch WH Smith, very fine company. Uh, yeah. They sell our book for the cheapest online. So if you want to buy a book from That's them true. online, it's cheapest. It's like under six pounds uh wonderful company uh, i used to enjoy going there a lot and the, they do sell some excellent stationery uh but it's mostly stationery and stuff mm. and gubbins and not so many books <laughs> no. and it's a lot of those um you know like celebrity fitness and chefy guys and, and all those management ones what the sorts of that like those yeah. things are really they have loads of those in the basement all those management ones yeah yeah, I, yeah just i mean oh. The key is just to manage people consensually. That's uh, well, and none of them anti-capitalist. I don't think. No. Them. They're like this, they're like a version of the self-help book, aren't they? They're very similar messages, but sort of for mm. business and the workplace. And yeah, I'm not, yeah, not, I'm not loving them. I've not read any because I've never had to do any of that work yet. But mm. and hopefully I'll never have to. Please subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah, Patreon. That's really great. <laughs> Justin, if you find this valuable, we want to make this a job for us. Yeah. So, is there anything else we want to waffle about? MJ? No, I think we're any good. Other, any other shops you want to shit on? I mean, you've already had a go at W.O. Smith, so why not? I, don't, I, I really like the sketch pads. I won't buy my sketch pads anywhere else. They're, they're fine. You, like, you, yeah, you get your pens from there as well, don't you? I sometimes right? do. Yeah, I'm now on a, a cartridge pen, though, so. Oh, lovely. Let's have a look. Oh, yeah. very nice. Oh, drop it. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, that is so. nice. Yeah. I get my stationery from Cult Pens. They're an online stationery shop. They're great, Cult Pens. And also, <laughs> their, um, their newsletter is really good. Like It's one of those genuinely interesting newsletters. That If a stationery company wanted to sponsor the podcast, they would be most welcome. Yeah. Very, I mean, I'm really quite naturally into stationery. Like, yeah. it really is. But bordering I'm, on fetish here. So. Yeah, I've got a pencil yeah. problem myself. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> You, you know, you fucking know about know. my pencil problem. I really know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, shall we actually go then? Should we stop? Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you bye. for listening. Bye, 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 bye. bye.